This is Napkin Scribbles, a podcast by Arthur and Professor Leonard Sweet. Today's Napkin Scribble is sponsored by Portland Seminary of George Fox University. For more information, join them on the web at portlandseminary.org. Now here's Leonard Sweet. I sign my letters and emails a couple of different ways. For many years, I've used still in one piece, but it's P-E-A-C-E. So it's kind of a triple wordplay, still in one piece. But increasingly, I'm starting to use, if I'm especially grateful to somebody for something and just feel a whole debt of, of gratitude and, and appreciation for them, I sign it Eucharistically yours. Eucharistically yours. And the word, the Greek word that I think we all ought to know is the word Eucharist. Eucharistia is Greek for thanksgiving or gratefulness. And this for me is such an important Greek word to use and to um, lift up because ingratitude is one of the deadliest of sins, maybe the deadliest of all the sins. Now, Officially, it's not part of the seven deadlies or the eight. Evagrius of Pontus was the first one to formulate these. He was ordained by the great Cappadocian fathers, Basil of Caesarea and Gregory of Nazianzus. Evagrius created these seven deadlies, and, but they didn't begin that way. They began as eight thoughts, evil thoughts, that gave rise to bad emotions. And they were gluttony, lust, greed, sadness, despondency, uh, anger, vainglory, and pride. But I really believe that ingratitude is there, but under cover. And that ingratitude is one of the deadliest sins. In fact, it really is really what I think behind pride. This pride notion that we achieved it, we deserved it, or I achieved it, I deserved it. Uh, why should I have to uh, be grateful to anybody because I earned this, and which is what makes it really the true deadliest sin. Life all begins in gratitude. According to Ignatius, ingratitude is the cause, beginning, and origin of all evils and sins. Let me repeat that because it's all important. This is Ignatius. Ingratitude is the cause, beginning, and origin of all evils and sins. The sense of entitlement, I deserve it. Senses of achievement, I earned it. Why should I have to be grateful to anybody? Why should I have to give thanks? And yet life itself is a gift. Every breath is a gift, a precious gift from God. And maybe my biggest failure as a parent was that I didn't teach my kids enough gratitude. I mean, I didn't need them to show gratitude to me because I enjoyed doing it for them and I love them and they're my kids, but they needed, so I didn't need the gratitude, but they needed to express the gratitude. And they needed it for them, not I needed it for me. And this is where Pope Francis, I think has written one of his, The Joy of Love, the, uh, the encyclical in 2016, uh, the pastoral letter, I think, it, I think it wasn't an encyclical, it was a pastoral letter, but he, he writes in this, in the family, three words need to be used. I want to repeat this, three words, please, thank you, sorry. And he calls them the three essential words. 
And I'm going on quoting here. In our families, when we are not overbearing and ask, may I? In our families, when we are not selfish and can say thank you. In our families, when somebody realizes that he or she did something wrong and is able to say sorry, then our family experiences peace and joy. Let us not be stingy about using these words, but keep repeating them day after day. Now, supposedly, when somebody's dying, this is what they most want to hear. These three, these three words. Or it's actually four. Please, thank you, forgive me, and I love you. Now, Fr Francis talks about, he, he uses the word sorry, and I frankly do not, I'm sorry, Francis, I frankly don't like sorry. Sorry is a selfie culture's castaway and throwaway line. I'm, I'm sorry, uh, I'm sorry. Um, no, there's something deeper here needed. Not just I'm sorry, but I confess or forgive me. Uh, the difference between I'm sorry and please forgive me, and I'm sorry and I confess I, I didn't do it. The, the, the forgiveness and confession has an admission of accountability and the need for repentance. And there is some guilt involved. The other is guiltless and it's, and it's just a, a throwaway. It's just a sloughing off. So I, I want the concept of not I'm sorry, but part of gratitude is now forgive me for this has been a gift and, and the, the, I'm thankful for this gift and I, I forgive me, I confess that I was not appreciative enough. To be ungrateful to God for what we have received is like sending back your dinner at the Salvation Army soup kitchen. I mean, the opposite of faith is not doubt. Doubt is a component of faith. The opposite of faith is ingratitude. That's the opposite of faith, ingratitude. And we need a renewed understanding of this Greek word that Ignatius first used in the early second century to describe the sacrament. But in a wider sense, to look at all of life as Eucharistic living. And what does it mean to live Eucharistically? and to, to live with this sense of Eucharistic gratitude. In the early church, there's a marvelous phrase uh, for widows, and they were seen and defined as the altar of God. I, um, the Assemblies of God denomination actually has in every state a missionary to widows. In every state, they have a missionary to widows. This is a a group of people that just reach out to to widows. And we, we forget the widows and the orphans, and but yet in the early church, this was huge. And, and the greatest Sephardic theologian, who was also an astronomer and physician, uh, Moses Maimonides, he defines eight levels of giving, each one higher than the preceding one. And so let me give them an ascending level. So this will start at the bottom, number eight. When donations are given grudgingly, God, um, but they're given. Uh, that's the lowest level of, of charity uh, or of giving, of Eucharistic living. Um, I used to, when I announced the offering when I was pastor, sometimes I'd say, now remember, God loveth the cheerful giver, but he accepteth from a grouch. So it doesn't matter whether you're cheerful or grouchy today. The offering plate is coming, but your way. Uh, number seven, 
When one gives less than he should, but does so cheerfully. Number six. When one gives directly to the poor upon being asked. Number five. When one gives directly to the poor without being asked. Number six was upon being asked. And this is, number five is without being asked. Number four, donations when the recipient is aware of the donor's identity, but the donor still doesn't know the specific identity of the recipient. I mean, Maimonides has this really uh, nuanced here. For, for Pope Francis, and I love this about his, his pastoral letter here, he insists that when you're giving to the needy, especially the homeless, you don't just throw some money at them. You need to look at the person in the eye. And, and gesture is key here. And he believes, he says, these are, I'm quoting here, look them in the eye and touch their hands. Tossing the money their way without looking in their eyes, that is not the gesture of a Christian. Charity is not about offloading one's sense of guilt but it is touching looking at our own inner poverty. In other words, when you look at their eyes, you're seeing your own impoverished status too. Number three, donations when the donor is aware to whom the charity is being given, but the recipient is unaware of the source. Number two, giving assistance in such a way that the giver and the recipient are unknown to each other. And then number one, the highest form of charity is to help sustain a person before they become impoverished by offering a substantial gift in a dignified manner, or by extending a loan, or by helping them find employment or establish themselves in business. So you're making it unnecessary for them to become dependent on others. This is the highest form of giving, moving them towards self-sufficiency, enhancing their self-esteem, and establishing a relationship between the rich and the poor. This is true Eucharistic living, the highest form of Eucharistic living. Now, at what Ignatius started to call the Eucharist, and, and we've done that ever since in many tribes and traditions, the sacramental consecration. This is my body broken for you. The problem is, and this is as it's quoted, but Hebrew and Aramaic could not have said, this is my body. And Jesus was likely speaking either Aramaic or Hebrew. So his sentence would have included no word, the equivalent of the is, as in this is my body. So it's linguistically impossible to say in Hebrew or Aramaic, this is my body. So what would he have said? And how should we have translated this high moment of the Eucharist? This is the most likely phrasing in Hebrew or Aramaic, which Jesus would have spoken for this high moment with his disciples. Are you ready? This is me. This is me. Not this is my body, but this is me. This is me in my totality. This is me in my total self. You can't separate his corporal body from his corporate communal body. Uh, it's all part of one. This is me. This is what I'm really like, broken, poured out. 
And then come, if you notice what comes next, uh, um, as he does it with his disciples, four features of Eucharistic living. And so when we think of this word Eucharist, we ought to think of these four components of what does it mean to be Eucharistically yours. First of all, there's the offering. Secondly, there's a thanking. Thirdly, there's the breaking. And lastly, there's the sharing. So first of all, you have the freedom to offer. Second, you have the trusting to thank. A prayer is seeing those around you and learning to say thank you for them. And, and you can't separate prayer from gratitude and continual gratitude. And then you have the obedience even to the breaking. So number one, offering. Number two, thanking. Number three, breaking which issues in the fourth, the sharing, the self-giving love, the willingness to give yourself away, to put yourself not first, but last, and do not to think higher or highly of yourself than you ought to think. So this, and this is me, refers to the communal breaking of bread. Not just the flesh of Jesus, but the whole action of his physical presence and hosting the meal with his disciples. Paul's Greek word here is koinonia, ours is communion. But this, he says, this is me. This is the whole table. The whole table time with his disciples. This is communion. This is koinonia. Not just the bread he's breaking. This the whole shebang, the whole koinonia is me. And of course, the breaking will occur on the cross and the sharing of his resurrection life. So life offered, your life is in your hands, but you have freedom to offer it. This is freedom. Will you offer it freely? Number two, life is not off, just offered, but life is lived thankfully. And this is where trust comes in, trust and obey. Number three, life is lived broken. Uh, this is brokenness even to the cross. And finally, life is totally shared. This is, this is love. I love that phrase, this is me. When you, when you preside at communion, try, think about trying this. Just hold up the bread and say, this is me. All of 2020, I pinned to Twitter a, a phrase. When you water others with praise and gratitude, you water your own soul. And this is the importance of learning this Greek word, Eucharist. In, in ancient Hawaiian, language. There's a prayer that is made up of all four of these four, four powerful phrases. I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you, I love you. And the, the prayer is the whole pono pono, the whole pono pono prayer. And you can, you can um, actually um, look that up on Google that and you can 
hear people that have that the Ho'oponopono uh, prayer is a is almost a mantra that 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 is over and over again saying in a Eucharistic fashion, "Please forgive me, thank you, I love you," and we ought to begin each day by thanking God for the things that happened uh, the previous day, thanking God for the things that we will experience that day, and thanking God for the guidance that will come from a spirit of gratitude for whatever comes that day. I'm going to end this little knack and scribble on the importance of this word Eucharist with a something I read in Ann Voskamp's The Broken Way, which came out about six years ago. And I'm just quoting her here and see if it hits you like it hit me. It had been on the eve of Passover when I'd heard a pastor tell a story of how he'd been in Jerusalem, sitting in an Orthodox Jewish classroom, when a Jewish rabbi started teaching the marriage customs of first century Jews. He'd up and said that when a man had decided whom he'd chosen to marry, his father would pour a cup of wine and pass it down to his son. The son would then turn to the young woman he loved and with all of the solemnity of an oath before almighty Yahweh himself, the young man would hold out the cup of wine to the woman and ask for her hand in marriage. And he would ask for it with these words. This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which I offer to you. The pastor had told me how he'd sat back a bit stunned. This Orthodox Jewish rabbi was describing first century marriage customs. A marriage proposal with the words Jesus had used that night, this cup is the covenant in my blood, which I offer to you. The Last Supper was a marriage covenant. That the pastor had said it slowly so it couldn't be missed, cup outstretched in his hands. In other words, Jesus says to you with this cup, I love you. I want you. I covenant myself to you. I commit to you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which I offer to you. Do you love me? Will you covenant yourself to me? This is why this word Eucharist is so important. Eucharistically yours. Thank you for listening to Napkin Scribbles. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with a friend today. Today's Napkin Scribbles was sponsored by Portland Seminary of George Fox University. For more information, join them on the web at portlandseminary.org. For Professor and Arthur Leonard Sweet, until next time, happy scratching and scribbling.